Hello, everybody. This is Christian Thwaites and Rita Lee with Brian Janikowski. Well, welcome to our monthly conference call. And this week, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive and focus on emerging market equity primarily, although we might touch on emerging market debt. And the primary reason we won't really do a lot on emerging market debt is that we don't hold it on behalf of clients for various historical reasons and indeed investment fundamental reasons. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, and thank you, Rita, for joining us today as well. Good afternoon. And let me just kind of start off with an overview of what's going on in emerging markets. And so this hasn't been a big crack in the market. We had a correction, as many of you know, at the beginning of February in, in most markets, and emerging markets were certainly there. Uh, and they haven't, um, generally, they've held up pretty well. Emerging markets on the equity side, year to date, are down about 2%. So the S&P is up about 1%, so not a big differential there. On the year, they're up 13%. The story is slightly different on emerging market bonds. They're down 5% over the last year, primarily because of uh, uh, foreign exchange uh, losses and, and also higher interest rates. But as I said, we're really, really talking about equities here because for our equity investors, they hold about 11% in emerging market equities. And for our clients who are more <clears throat> in a 60-40 or balanced portfolio, that the emerging market equity uh, holding is more about 5%. So, um, before we sort of jump into the big themes as to why, uh, th kind of an interesting jumping off fact is that there's a pretty wide dispersion within emerging markets. Remember, emerging markets is a, a collection of about 15, 20 countries which are not in developing markets, uh, but they're by no means unsophisticated economies. Uh, you know, China, South Korea is in one of the major indices, uh, lots of Eastern Europe, South Africa. Um, and so the, these are not sort of the frontier markets. And what's been happening certainly this year is, is a bit of a disparity between the best and the worst. So uh, the best have been really the Hong Kong um, uh, China shares, which are up 22% uh, over the last year, uh, both in U.S. dollars and local terms, because they, of course, the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar. And the worst has been uh, uh, Argentina, which is down about uh, 20% um, over the last, uh, since the beginning of the year, and about 4% over the last year. Uh, but there the story has been, which will come on to a minute, a, a massive crash in the currency. So what has happened is instead of these markets moving you know, pretty much on block altogether, driven by the same themes, they're now being driven by very different themes and very different sort of winners and losers are emerging. Um, and that's one reason why we like to have an active manager in emerging markets, because we want to take advantage of that disparity in performance. So uh, what's really happened this year? So we've identified really six themes. Some of them run into each other, but we think this has been the, sort of the main story going on in emerging markets. So first of all is that the U.S. dollar post the election went on a short climb, and then in 2017, proceeded pretty much to go into a nosedive. More recently, there's been dollar strength. Excuse me if you can hear that helicopter in the background. It will go by soon. Uh, recently, there's been dollar strength. And I think that's mostly because uh, the rate differential of the US, where two-year treasuries are yielding about 2.2% 2, 2 versus 
the major currencies like the euro and the yen, where there's still pretty massive QE in place, where you're talking about two-year rates of uh, less than 50 basis points and overnight rates, which are still negative. So I think what's happened is that the U.S. Uh, dollar has increased because people see that risk rate differential as being around for a while, and then the U.S. growth is, uh, is, is, has been faster um, than, uh, than, than a lot of other overseas growth, and that is primarily driven because of the tax uh, stimulus package, which, in our view, has come in way too late in the cycle. Um, and there's therefore quite a risk, but that so therefore that means that uh, you know the Fed is probably a little bit ahead of the curve. They've signaled that it's going to be a minimum of three, probably four rate hikes this year. So it's quite simple for foreign exchange traders just to extrapolate that rate differential and bid the dollar back up, especially you know as it had such a weak time. So that leads to the second point, which is that emerging market debt. Now again, this isn't evenly. Dispersed, there are some very indebted countries, uh, South Africa, Turkey, Argentina, uh, Russia, and there are some which have huge surpluses, like uh, China and Hong Kong, most of Southeast Asia, South Korea, and so on. But those that do have uh, debt have it in US dollars. So the minute the US dollar goes up, their debt servicing uh, costs increase. Um, so that means there's uh, it is less. A surplus, uh, there's more of a burden, and uh, and that kind of rolls right into a fear that the growth might be disturbed. Um, the third point is that global growth, um, already sort of slightly touched on this, has slightly changed. Uh, last year, we definitely had synchronized growth across all the big areas uh, the US, um, Europe, and Japan, and China. Uh, in the first quarter, Europe and Japan have definitely slowed down a little bit. Um, and I think with that, that it means that the global growth, um, certainly so far this year, is a little bit slower than what it was last year, um, and is certainly certainly less synchronized. Now, our own view is that the U.S. will begin to roll off a little bit, maybe not in the second quarter, but towards the back end of the year, and Europe and Japan stories will start to come back. But right now, we're seeing you know, the global growth balance a little bit more in favor of the U.S. That means that there's a rate story going on there. That means less trade going on for everybody else, and that's where the emerging market gets a little bit weaker. So you can see that these are all interconnected. A um, couple more points just on this is that uh, it tends to happen in markets that the surprise comes from the, you know, the, the, the tail wagging the dog. And, uh, you know, we've got some issues in Italy right now, but the tail that's wagging the dog in emerging markets specifically is Argentina and Turkey. And you know, Argentina has been through numerous sort of IMF crises over the year, and this is just their latest one. And it's again uh, a government, a fairly quasi-populist government, who has a massive amount of emerging market debt, hasn't pushed rates uh, to defend the currency as much as they sh they should have had, and is running a very huge current account deficit of five percent of GDP. So, uh, and they also have a big external balance, and uh, and so. Essentially, the markets have tested Argentina's resolve and really hit the, uh, the peso, uh, and that means that the local markets begin to collapse pretty quickly. And the same is true in Turkey, where you know under Erdogan, there's a, you know a, a, gosh, you know for all intents and purposes, that's that's a um, you know autocracy masquerading as a democracy. There's uh, there's there's a lot of um, political tension there. Uh, there's a lot of external debt and um, the Turkish 
central bank is almost being pressured, I think, to keep rates artificially low. So the lira uh, has uh, is down about nine percent this year. So those two stories are not particularly big in terms of weighting. Argentina is actually not in one of the major emerging market indexes. It's in a frontier index, which we don't use, and Turkey is less than 2%. But it doesn't take much for people to get concerned that there's a <clears throat> spillover effect or a contamination, contagion effect. Um, and these are two pretty pretty desperate stories right now, which haven't been, haven't been rectified. Um, the fifth, and I'm nearly done with this list, is trade. And clearly, uh, you know, ever since the steel tariffs were announced at the beginning of March, uh, trade and specifically China trade has been in the, in the crosshairs of the administration. There's a lot of uh, uh, toing and froing on that. Uh, I'm going to ask Rita in a minute to just talk about what she thinks about the latest bilateral trade uh, agreements are with China. So those are certainly in the background. But in addition, don't forget, we've got Mexico and NAFTA being renegotiated as we speak. And there's sort of not a lot of you know news coming out of either of those, but you start disturbing something like NAFTA um, and, and Mexico, and it's going to have a huge uh, a bad effect on sentiment. And the last thing on trade, of course, is that the Russia sanctions have been strengthened. So uh, that, again, has, has led to you know, a little, you know, more extra noise for, on, uh, on the emerging market side. So Rita, I don't know if you have any insights, particularly onto the China-US uh, uh, trade. I think it's certainly been uh, on and off. You love me today, you don't love me <laughs> tomorrow, that kind of thing uh, between China and the U.S. Um, the, the talks were fairly strong uh, in the beginning. Um, then uh, President Xi Jinping, China's president, uh, promised uh, you know, to open up the, the auto sector and the finance sector, which was a reconciliatory um, move. And then because of the U.S. Uh, targeting the technology side of things, particularly you might have heard about the ZTE ban. Uh, the U.S. companies cannot do business with them for seven years, which caused a significant disruption in the Chinese technology market. Um, the Chinese technology market, um, in reality, relies a lot in the U.S. Uh, high-tech Semiconducting, uh, semiconductor business, and and that was very disruptive, and uh, that that particular um, uh, ban was not very popular in China. Um, then we had official trade talks in Beijing um, this past weekend. Uh, lots of tweet tweets and <laughs> lots of talks, and I think um, the end result would be probably more talks. Um, more negotiations, softer tones, um, more, hopefully, more amicable exchange because I think both sides now have begun to see there could be a lot of damage. So, Rita, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but looking at a year from now, are you bullish about China-U.S. bilateral trade? How do you feel about it? I think things will work out. It will be. Um, it, it will be rough in the short run, for sure, because of all these rhetorics. <laughs> um, but we will have to work this out for sure between the two countries. No, I, <laughs> I, I think you're spot on, and you've been very right in the past when it comes to uh, um, what's going on with the Chinese economy. 
Um, and then the last point on the big themes, uh, we've actually got six, but this is the last one, is oil. And uh, we've, we've had oil pop to the high 70s and 80s. Some of that is the Iran uh, sanctions coming back on strike. And yeah, that means that sort of your OPEC production quotas are um, up for grabs. Plus, you've got you know, Russia um, you know, uh, um, exporting. Um, so I think that what happens in emerging markets is you get a divide between the oil importers and the oil exporters. Uh, so the big importers of, of countries like you know China and, and, and Korea and India, which are going to be you know, marginally affected, and the exporters are obviously doing well. Another big one there is Russia, uh, to the lesser extent, uh, Brazil um, and Mexico. So um, we also have uh, you know that kind of uh, cleavage between the different. So those, I think, you kind of string those together, and a lot of times this happens where you get uh, not any one of these the market would have been able to absorb, and and people would just sort of uh, you know uh, just mention it and move on. But you've got a number of these things, and then the kind of overarching uh, sort of uncertainty uh, aura, and and that's made the emerging markets a little bit spotty um, uh, year to date. But um, so I'll just touch quickly on what I think the strengths of emerging markets. This is why we're in it, because um, first of all, emerging market stocks are cheaper than uh, the U.S. and Europe, and they might—they usually always sell at a discount, but the discount now is is still quite attractive, um, and even after you adjust for different sector weightings. So, so that so that's you know, one one sort of supporting factor. This is not an overbought market or an oversold market, it, the valuation is still quite attractive. The other one is that uh, emerging market debt to equity of companies is below that of the US and the EU. Um, so one prevailing backdrop we've got to the US market is how uh, US corporations can adjust to a higher rates because some of them took on so much debt. Now, some of them took on debt just to pay dividends and or buybacks, but you know, the debt is still there. And unless they wash it out, uh, it's going to be a problem. But uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we got the emerging market debt equity ratio uh, of companies in pretty good shape. Um, we've also, uh, I think, as, as Rita mentioned, probably looking at a longer term rapprochement or at least sort of a little bit more neutral uh, right. sort of antagonism <laughs> between, between China and the US. Uh, emerging market volatility is still low. It, you know, this is typically a market where it can get extremely volatile, and it hasn't been. Uh, so, you know, I think people are sort of biding their time, seeing what's seeing what's uh, not doing well, but they're not about to start, uh, um, you know, trading and bailing out in volume. And the other sort of thing is that we like is that we remind ourselves that emerging markets have some really outstanding uh, leading global companies. Uh, I mean, some of them we don't really come across in the U.S. And, you know, so any examples I give might be, you know, just a rather, um, rather strange ones. But, you know, we're not talking about Tencent and the Alibaba's here. We're talking about, you know, a company like Ping An, a huge insurance company, has 430, I just learned this, Rita, 430 yeah. million people using their fintech uh, uh, apps, you know, which is probably 100 times more than the next uh, Western insurance company. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of companies which combination of you know low wages 
and our global OEMs, so the, the global original equipment manufacturers. They're a in the lot of the supply. Korean countries are top shape yeah. companies, um, supplying a lot of the different uh, companies uh, in terms of ships, auto, yeah. uh, technology, all kinds of things. Yes, uh, and and they're really sort of plugged into the uh, into the into the Western supply chains and uh, OEM markets. I think. I think one last thing to add to that is uh, the the emerging markets stock markets are increasingly becoming more sophisticated. They know that they have to be. Um, one of the uh, changes, for example, uh, are some of the Chinese um, tra shares traded locally in the Chinese stock market will become included in Western markets. This increased liquidity it it uh, it, it, it makes it it, it forces the stock markets to be more sophisticated because they now they have to handle uh, inflows and outflows and also currency exchanges. Over time, it will help the emerging stock markets to be driven more by fundamentals rather than the short-term sentimental noises. Yes, and so that's where I would try and summarize that between the uh, addition of the A shares, open more transparency, better liquidity, the fact that there are very good leading companies in emerging markets, and thirdly, that we're going to have to differentiate more between uh, the winners and the, and the also-rans. And there's some very clear winners in emerging markets. And right now, the also-rans are getting hit. They're not in the majority by you know, size or, or market impact, but they are, those stories are out there. So I think what we'll be doing with our emerging markets over the next uh, month or two is think is, think is some way to have some downside protection. We don't want to exit them. But we do want to sort of mitigate the losses in case some of these trade talks uh, go off the rails. You never know; tweet in the wrong direction could uh, could 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 hurt us, <laughs> um, and 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 possibly take some of the sting of the volatility out there. And with that, I'd like to open it to uh, you know any and all questions. So at this point, all the lines are unmuted, um, and if you'd like to ask a question, um, I will just. Stop talking and feel free to jump right in. And uh, it doesn't look like we have any questions. So uh, either I've done an outstanding job or I've just made the whole problem far more complicated. I hope it's. Uh, Hope it's not the last, but um, we are looking at this carefully for everybody. And um, at the moment, our you know we're 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 paying attention. We're not overly concerned by it, but it's something which I think is going to run for a while. And you know, heads uh, putting some protection strategies on the portfolio. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. This will be up on our podcast. If you'd like to. Uh, and uh, I'll say goodbye before I read the disclosure, which I know a lot of people um, are very keen to hear. But uh, this is a goodbye and thank you from me and from Rita. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. And here's the disclosure. Please note the information provided in this presentation for general information purposes only. It should not be considered as an individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. Investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making an investment decision. All expressions of opinion are subject to change without notice and react to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee 
for future results and opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance.